Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hello, this is Dr. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was going to try the whole episode that way. It's not going to hold up. Uh, this is Dr. <laughs> Santosh, your wonderful pediatric infectious disease doctor. We should, we should do a whole episode with voices. I could do the Bane voice, Batman. And I could do the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, oh, that was creepy. Hey, Dr. J. <laughs> what you want to do today? Today in science, Harley, we're going to prove that climate change isn't just for villains anymore. Oh, pudding. You know how to put the And that's it. It's just us today, the dynamic duo, bringing you this weekend of love in Journal Club. Love is in the air, you know, the hopefully the the frost is thawing by the time that uh, you you listen to this. And if it's not thawing, be sure you've checked out our episode on frostbite. We don't want anybody to lose anything. Well, Josh, I've been told that, you know, even if you do, there's certain parts you can replace, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, if you wanted to. Uh, really? Really? I, yeah. I would love to learn more about that. I mean, this sounds very similar to a story we've covered in the past. If anybody out there does get frostbitten in this wonderful loving month of February and uh, you lose uh, your partner down under... Um, you guys 
can get the robot. What do you when you think robot penis? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I I know I'm making the assumption that you automatically have a mental image ready for that. Yeah, yeah, of course, because it's all is it is it a little robot that's attached to your groins <laughs> or is it like a robotic, you know, Dr. Octopus type thing or Oh my god, Dr. Octopus, that's a terrible analogy. No, that's horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> Without some little graspers at the end, I'm sure, you know. This would be more Although good. although Santos, yeah. a a brief Perusal. I believe this article came from Gizmodo, but yeah. <laughs> it's from a study being conducted in Wisconsin at the yeah. Department of Urology. And these scientists and gentlemen have created an elastic memory metal used to create a penile implant to help with erectile dysfunction. This bit of copy from the from the journalist, I think is my favorite line in the whole article. And Santosh, do you want to read it or shall I? No, no, no. You go ahead and do it. But uh, try, could, could you do your radio voice for this one? This one's pretty good. So Dr. Brian Lay from the Department of Urology at University of Wisconsin is testing a super elastic memory metal that mimics your member by bending, expanding, and shrinking. Through a simple procedure, it could help men maintain erections when drugs or the clunky and inconsistent pumps... Fail. Cut it and edit it. That's a wrap, people. <laughs> no, so this is wonderful. So memory metals are these amazing new pieces of technology. They're actually in use in several sectors from everything from aerospace all the way to mechanical engineering. And you're talking about something which you mold into a particular shape out of this memory metal, this alloy. And when the temperature is heated to one temperature, then it forms a certain shape and it'll hold that shape. And when it cools down, it will return to a different shape. And it doesn't matter if you bend it, twist it, shake it, rub bop it, it. bop <laughs> it, you could go faster, you could go slower, you could... <laughs> if you start to smoke, notify your mechanic? Yeah, <laughs> but no, the... <laughs> so you can, you, can tw- you can bend the metal out of shape, and what will happen is, as long as it, the metal is at a particular temperature, it'll go back to the shape that you bent it into in order to maintain that shape. So essentially, you can have a piece of metal that goes rigid when the temperature is just right. Or you could say remains flaccid at the body's resting temperature. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, so you cool it back down and uh, boom, you know, it's it's no longer at attention and you don't need any mechanical things going on like a pump or, you know, moving parts per se. Uh, you just need that one band or cylinder of metal to aid in holding the penis up. You just implant that all by itself. No motor necessary, no pump necessary. Uh, Josh, I believe this thing hasn't been actually turned into a penis yet. (laughs) It's just, it's been thought of as a penis. It's a hypothetical. It has not been human tested. It is, so this memory metal that we keep referring to is a nickel titanium alloy called nitinol or nitinol. Uh, It's heat activated. It's known to remain flaccid at the resting temperature 
of the body and expands when heated. Now, I could not find anywhere in this article to what degree it has to be heated, and I don't think any guy I know is going to be lining up to wrap a piece of metal <laughs> around his penis no, that no. has to be heated no, no. <laughs> to become... I mean, you sit there, you're like, oh, I've got a warm feeling in my shorts when uh, when I look at you, and I'm not going to want to be a beta tester. No, no, well, <laughs> the idea <laughs> is that... This would actually go beneath the shaft of the penis where one of the erectile muscles, tell tissues, normally sits. So that's where it would go. So it, it would actually be implanted in. The degree of to which it needs to be heated and all of this, I think this, <laughs> this needs to be investigated. As you know, Josh, some penises require different temperatures than others <laughs> and what's what are we looking at in the tensile strength of this metal i mean are guys going to start being like my penis is ford tough you know <laughs> can you imagine the commercials and Chevy <laughs> being like you're not gonna get that with a nissan <laughs> also also you know nickel titanium titanium is a pretty it's a pretty dense metal if i remember my chemistry metal detectors at the airport are over and done with that's yeah that's a that's finished true. deal totally. like because you know i yeah even if people have uh, a healthy penis i know of a few people who would get this just for the sake of getting it so i mean if a uh, belt buckle can set off the machine yeah 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 you're gonna be <laughs> caught in a bit of a tight spot I went over to the University of Wisconsin website, Josh, and I took a little more in-depth look at an interview with Dr. Lay. I want you to listen to this, my friend. Dr. Lay and collaborators at Southern Illinois University are currently working on, I am not kidding you, buddy, a remote control device that can be waved over the penis using heat induction to heat the nickel titanium a few degrees above body temperature and ratcheting open the alloy prosthesis to expand the penis in length and girth. This sounds like a goddamn Harry Potter wet dream. Like you, you take out your wand and you wave it over and you say... Expect a whole patronum. <laughs> no, you don't want to cast your patronus that early. You, you want to start with expando fallusium or something like that. But I, I was sitting, just you know, laying back in the baby, baby. Are you ready? I can't find the wand. Where'd you put the wand? It's right there. Ten points for Gryffindor. <laughs> Waving it over like the fairy godmother <laughs> over the goddamn pumpkin. <laughs> Poof. You say the magic words properly. <laughs> I bet you people oh. would say word. There would be like bibbity bobbity boop. <laughs> You'd have to. Oh my god. You'd have to say something. If your partner, if you're asking your partner to be like, baby, I'm so ready. Go get the wand. Okay. <laughs> you can't just wave a wand. All right. Let's yeah. bring it back in. <laughs> I just. What do you do? What do you do if you forget your wand? You go over for like a one night stand and, oh, baby, I'd really love to, but I forgot my wand tonight. Uh, and geez. what if it gets hacked? I mean, those car what remotes can hacked? get. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 
they stole my identity. They got in through my penis. <laughs> really? They got my visa. Yeah, they got my credit card in for me. <laughs> <laughs> the worst cyborg ever all right we've had our fun yes let's let's i guess reluctantly move on to the next story and bring some actual real yeah. real medicine so, back uh, but, well, but again to be fair, they're expecting this to show up in within they said probably the next five to ten years Right. An equivalent should start coming to market. I will say this is an improvement over technologies where you do need um, to implant something like a motor or something like a pump because all of those parts can get infected. You need to compartmentalize those things. Having a piece of memory metal that can just shift into place uh, with a change of temperature is a, is a pretty cool uh, thing in and of itself. So props to the university of wisconsin and let's move a little back from the penis let's go to the base and where the uh, the hair lives for our next story and this is in the journal sexually transmitted infections which josh was this one one of your favorite ones or is it the general journal of sexual health it's the journal of sexual health i i like the much broader topics they cover Gotcha. So you need, a, you need a little more broad focus. This is a great story. It is using self-reporting, so it's not perfect. But I think we've discussed, Josh, back and forth on this podcast a few times that, you know, those of you guys who, and girls who like to groom your down under, that it's maybe not the best idea. Now, before we get into the article itself, let me ask, is this something that covers based on, because I know for several people, there are various methods of grooming. Yes, yes, yes. So So, is this article about one specific method or is it more more generalized? uh, So it is more generalized, just about grooming. Um, They did uh, talk about the typical grooming tools, so a non-electric razor, an electric razor, wax scissors, and the amount of grooming that they did. So the number of times per year, the number of times per month or week. So all of those variables were included in the survey. If you guys groom, please be careful because the hair that we have on our pubic area has been evolved over millions of years to serve uh, a lot of purposes, one of which may actually be to keep down sexually transmitted infections. And these are bacteria, viruses, etc. that they have evolved with us just to ride along while we're having sex. They're not purposely trying to cause infection, but they have had a successful strategy of moving from, you know, vagina to penis to wherever and multiplying and surviving that way. So we, we've got our pubic hair and now in this modern era of fashion, we've got a lot of grooming going on. A lot of questions have been raised over the years is if grooming is beneficial or if it's harmful when it comes to the transmission of STIs. And this particular study from sexually transmitted infections has put another piece of evidence to say, if you groom a lot, 
then your incidence of sexually transmitted infections are increased. So this was an association that... Now, I'm going to stop you very briefly and tell you as an internal medicine doc, a lot is far too vague. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you That's narrow true. that down to what what constitutes a lot? Right. Or did the study not mention? No, no, no. It absolutely did. So we're talking about groomers as anyone who had groomed their public hair in the past. So that's ever groomers, if you've ever groomed. Extreme groomers. Extreme There's a quote Extreme. <laughs> Let me drink my Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> they actually said they used the word extreme groomers as those who removed all of their pubic hair via grooming more than 11 times per year. So that's more about once a month. And then you've got high frequency groomers. Uh, those are people who groom. Well, speaking in falsetto. No, I'm kidding. High-frequency groomers are daily or weekly pubic hair grooming. Extreme groomers and high-frequency groomers are not mutually exclusive because there are people, for instance, who would remove all of their pubic hair. So they'd go for a waxing session, double would grow up, and then they would groom kind of on top of that. So they asked people about how often they groomed and with what they groomed, and then they said... You know, the next few questions were about sexually transmitted infections, and they said there are cutaneous sexually transmitted infections, so the ones that are stay right on the skin. This is uh, herpes, HPV, um, so human papillomavirus, and syphilis and molluscum contagiosum. And then there are secretory STIs. These are STIs which actually get inside of us, so they get into our bladder and into our bloodstream. So gonorrhea, chlamydia, HIV. <clears throat> and then pubic lice was a separate analysis altogether. And so they just said, you know, they gave out the survey and said, how much do you groom? Where do you groom? And tell us how many sexually transmitted infections you have gotten. And that sounds like the worst game of Clue ever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. In the library, with a candlestick, gonorrhea. <laughs> Butler always did it. No, Gonorrhea always did it. The correlations were there that groomers were more likely to report a history of cutaneous STIs. The rate was still kind of low in this study, and this was 7% versus 2%. Herpes was 3% versus 1%. Talking about secretory STIs, they were a little bit more likely to report gonorrhea chlamydia, but actually this one was not statistically significant. And this makes a lot of sense, right? Gonorrhea chlamydia actually live on the inside of the vaginal canal and are within the penis in the urethra. So you're, you're likely to transmit that whether or not you have pubic hair on the outside because it is transmitted through actually penetration, ejaculation, etc. Now, we still had correlations. People had more sexual partners. You know, they were more likely to get STIs and things like that. But honestly, I think this study, after all the analysis, showed a really, really good correlation that if you groomed more, and especially if you went to the extreme grooming, <laughs> that you got more and more and more cutaneous STIs. So the sexually transmitted infections, which would transmit skin to skin, like genital warts and herpes. 
I like that extreme grooming is much more intimidating, but still not the top level. Ever groomers. Uh, that's, uh, so, uh, that no, sounds no, so, more like the opposite of Tobias is never nude <laughs> in Arrested Development. Never nude, no, ever grooming. No, so ever groomers are actually, have you ever groomed? So that was actually the lowest. So oh, so they were never groomers. There were never groomers, ever groomers. So that means have you ever groomed? Extreme and high frequency. And high frequency were the ones who would go uh, every day. You know, they would either go to a salon or they would um, use a razor or a non-electric razor every single day. Yeah. Evergroom so. sounds like a diseased tree. <laughs> it really does. Oh, the everlasting evergroom. It's <laughs> oh, no, awful. The, the pustular evergroom. No, that's terrible. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and we just keep on rolling downhill. So the in the grand scheme of things, given somebody's preference, is there is there an amount or is it just advised against? Right. So this is the kind of thing that I think will take more study. So this really was just a survey study. So that means everything was self reported. It wasn't one of these prospective studies. There were certainly no controls in place. So that's one real downside of this particular publication. Um, but they did comment that the idea of using a contact razor, so something which actually brushes against the skin to take away the hair, which is more likely to cause either scars or cuts, these probably had a higher risk of allowing the transmission of cutaneous sexually transmitted infections versus if you use something like an electric razor that just trims the hair without roughing up the skin. We're not saying anything about this is going to drastically increase your chances of getting an STI. This was a correlative study. So if I were to talk as a doctor, just a, a straight out of opinion and based on the evidence we had today, I would say, if you don't groom at all, fantastic. If you do groom, I would say using an electric razor that you used just for your downstairs area, I wouldn't use the same one that you used on your face. <laughs> I would never share the groomer with anybody else. That should just be for you. And a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It should be done probably less than once a week, less frequently than once a week. I would avoid like the waxing and a 
straight razor or a razor and foam all together. Oh, I should comment. Yes, if you if you want to groom once every while, there is a possibility. We still don't have conclusive evidence that you'll cut down on pubic lice. So yay. <laughs> well, there you go. There's a positive. Little little upside, sure. Well, that said, let's let's move on to our next story before no, no, I'm not even going to make the pun. Yeah. Just just go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead and and take it away. All right. We've been focusing on the uh, front a lot, so let's go around to the back door. <clears throat> <laughs> Good. I was worried I'd make an ass of myself. <laughs> All this is well and good, but... <laughs> okay. Guys, if there are any sensitive listeners out there, uh, we're about to talk about uh, anal intercourse. We're going to talk about it as professionally as Josh and I can. Uh, so in other words, not. <laughs> we're going to be talking about uh, lubrication. Josh, we had this conversation before and you were rather surprised at me. But to be fair, I am a pediatrician, so I don't get into sexual health as much as my colleagues in OBGYN and internal medicine, but there were studies far back as 2009 and before that talked about the use of saliva as a lubricant in anal sexual practices among homosexual men. And this was February 2009 in the Journal of Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndromes, uh, so one of the journals for HIV, and I said, Josh, did you know that people have studied this? And Josh, you said... <laughs> I said, have you just done a casual PubMed search? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had, I, had I just done a casual PubMed search, I would, I would stumble, stumble over a cornucopia of studies talking about the use of saliva. I it's said, literally no. coming out the ass. <laughs> I said, no, Josh, I didn't mean leafing through the pages of Cosmopolitan and Playboy. He said, no, he means on PubMed. And Josh, you are absolutely right, as you've been many, many times on this topic. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, men who have sex with men use saliva as a lubricant before initiating uh, or during anal sex. And bacterium, Neisseria gonorrhea, which causes gonorrhea, is in fact, carried in our pharynges, in our, in, in our mouth and in the back of our throat. And, it, you know, in, in instances of oral sex can actually cause pharyngitis the same way strep throat can. So there have been quite a few uh, researchers who have said, listen, since we have carriage of Neisseria in our mouths and people use uh, saliva as lubricant for anal sex, is this a potential transmission vector for sexually transmitted infections? And the uh, conclusion is that yes, that it is. <laughs> so the, the preface to what I'm going to talk about is from the Journal of Acquired Immune Deficiencies, 2009. Uh, Drs. Butler et al., and they, they published uh, this perspective, discussed uh, among, using 283 men who have sex with men, just discussing the <laughs> practice. So not anything else. And the respondents said that about 87% 
uh, use saliva as a lubricant in insertive or receptive penile anal intercourse. So this is really common. So the natural next step was to say that, well, you know, if you're going, you know, from mouth to saliva to anal sex and people are getting uh, gonococcal infections, both, you know, in the urethra, in the bladder, and in the rectal cavity, can we, in fact, use mouthwash to cure gonorrhea? And uh, this is the preliminary study in sexually transmitted infections, um, again, and this was done down under in Australia. Chow <laughs> uh, et al. investigated this uh, coming out of Melbourne. I mean, I guess Australia. if you're going to explore down under, you might as well make the yeah, most of it. Yeah, go for it. And uh, Josh, I, I want to read this just because the abstract is fantastic because by law they have to include this in here. A suspension of 10 to the 8th colony-forming units of Neisseria gonorrhea was added to serial dilutions of alcohol-containing Listerine mouthwashes, parentheses, cool mint, and total care, for one minute. <laughs> um... And then a, uh, an aliquot, which means a small drop, was spread over the surface of an agar plate where the gonorrhea could grow. It was actually seen if the, the gonorrhea would grow. They uh, recruited men who have sex with men who came into the Melbourne Sexual Health Center uh, for treatment of pharyngeal gonococcal infection. The untreated men were randomized to rinse and gargle either Listerine Cool Mint or just saline for one minute, and then they swabbed the pharynx before and after. And of course, after this test was done, they went through a normal course of antibiotics <laughs> in order to cure them. And this was kind of interesting. Listerine mouthwashes at a dilution of one to four resulted in a drop of total Neisseria gonorrhea when they looked on the bacteria plates. Uh, after gargling with the solution, the Listerine group were significantly less likely to have culture-positive Neisseria on, you know, from a swab, only 52% of them, compared with 84% who gargled with saline. So, hey, Listerine! <laughs> well done! You think that applies to the Lister mints, or did they account for the fact that gargling <laughs> the, really the... is... The fresh mint strips, remember the right. strips? <laughs> right, you just you put the little strip on your tongue, yeah. that probably does. No. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see, is it just from the increased alcohol content? Is right. there a component to the gargling that takes place versus, you know, just putting a tiny little mint in your yeah. mouth? Sure, or even just swishing around. And they did put a good control with a saline control, um, which is which is good because you don't want to have someone who does nothing and just try to swab again. So these are all excellent questions, and uh, certainly more research on this is needed. Um, this is not at all conclusive. Please don't go out there and be like, oh, baby, I just gargled. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, um, this is just a, a neat little step forward, but it may actually be a really good idea in the future and may lead to, if we refine this, it may lead to a recommendation that, you know, if you're a person who engages in, and I, I won't even say men who have sex with men, if you engage frequently in oral sex, 
um, that you can, you know, use a gargle like this. And you're absolutely right, Josh. It may be no other components in there than the alcohol. So, in fact, rather than something like Listerine, you may just need like a 0.5% ethanol solution or something like that in order to gargle. This study was not blinded. The participants were not blinded and the investigators were not blinded. And it was a very small population. So this really, really was a pilot. We should wait to see more things in the future. So Listerine shouldn't rush to change their their ad campaigns just yet. Personally, I'm not a big fan of mouthwash and many dentists I've talked to with the alcohol content in mouthwash, you actually dry out your mouth and you cause a a, a few, you know, gingivitis and what have you. But look, look for more data in the future and this may become a part of treatment or protection, pre-sexual protection in the future. We don't know. I like in the future as this some distant technology (laughs) that might be attained as opposed to just some teenage kid going out at night being like, you got your condoms and mouthwash? Yup. (laughs) Always use protection, people. (laughs) <laughs> I just want to see Listerine popping up in the sexual needs aisle next to Trojan. <laughs> like how they had the fresh strips, like maybe just like a one-shot bottle. And then they run the commercials just like the Viagra commercials on TV. Do you think it'll be next to the nitrous oxide to turbocharge your robotic <laughs> penis? <laughs> this is where I get scared, Josh. You and I, we have to be edutainment. We can't be uh, giving the wrong information to the people. Everybody out there listening, don't use Listerine to prevent STIs, please. I'm begging. More recently, and also, don't be beta testers for robot penises. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, somebody has to do it, but... Somebody, somebody's got to do it, and uh, yeah, we thank the... More than likely, let's be honest, uh, pigs... Grad uh, students? Oh, grad right. Stu- <laughs> 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 I was going to go with livestock, but you went right there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, sure, grad students. Uh, I just want to thank the tireless grad students of America for all they subject themselves to to publish. You volunteered your brains for imaging, and you volunteered your dongs for metal implants. So you're wonderful people, all of you. Right now there's a bunch of grad students looking around like we did what? We've been so irreverent on this special Valentine's Journal Club. It might be nice for us to cover something that's not diseased or infected or bizarre and just yeah. and just cover something normal. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every day. Pedestrian. So, yeah. So, of course, you know, in keeping with the rest of the, the episode's tone... I'm sure that at one point or another, almost everyone has asked themselves, how long does sex normally last? I love some of this research because, A, there are scientists who have to sit in the lab and watch this. (laughs) Uh, One study which I absolutely love was uh, the first ever sexual act by two humans captured on MRI. So an investigator had to do that. That's that's getting a little into the world of fetish, I think, at that point. You know, like, ah, the only way I can get off is by staring at MRIs. It's just the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing. 
it's but you know happen. what? It's gonna happen. Somewhere on the internet, that exists. The problem with saying how long does sex normally last is by defining what what counts as sex. You know, kissing, groping, uh-huh. rubbing, oral, vaginal. Oh. So a scientist uh, would phrase the same question. You know, in a comically obscure way, compared to how long does sex normally last. You know, one might say, what is the mean intravaginal ejaculation latency time? Or some some theory along those lines that would be testable. So if we take that as an example, measuring an average time to ejaculation is not really straightforward. You know, you could ask people how long they take, and you find me a single person who tells the truth in that study, and uh, I'll hand you a grant. But... <laughs> You know, people are likely to be biased upwards in their time estimates because of how our society is constructed. And the other thing is people don't necessarily know how long that they go for. You know, most of us aren't wearing a watch and timing ourselves (laughs) to achieve new world records. Yeah, yeah. And your your mind is usually on other things. But the best study that we do have estimating the average time to ejaculation in the general population involved 500 couples from around the world, so this was an international collaborative study, who were told to time themselves having sex over a four-week period using a stopwatch. Nice. Practically, this sounds awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, the actual method, they were told, press start at the first instance of penetration and stop at the moment of ejaculation. And you may note... And you would be right. This might affect the mood just a little bit. Somebody could be thrown off their game. But science is rarely perfect. What are you going to (laughs) do? Well, you know, because this is kind of like, you know, thinking about, you know, oh, don't scratch your nose. You know, how long can you go without scratching your nose? And, you know, the truth of the matter is that when you're thinking about it, it really does change how long you can go without scratching your nose you know so it's not perfect you know it's not an unobserved you know it's where you don't know that you're being observed or timed which would be really creepy (laughs) i don't know how you'd get that funding we will be going to people's windows (laughs) with the stopwatch uh, no, that would be bad. So what was the... <laughs> I'm going to stop. What, what was the uh, conclusion? Well, before I get to it, I'm going to tell you there are some... You know, after this... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I wish we had sponsors. <laughs> That'd be a great <laughs> cutaway yeah, to create yeah. drama. But there were some interesting secondary results. So the standard time that I will discuss momentarily was not affected by condom use was not affected by circumcision and really didn't matter which country the couples came from. So unless they came, unless they came from Turkey, in which case the median time was significantly shorter than couples from other countries, which included places such as the Netherlands, Spain, the United Kingdom, the United States, Australia, India. Let me get into some of the numbers. So the average times ranging across these 500 couples and that means an average for each couple for all the times they had sex over this four-week period plus an average time looked at from all 500 of those couples 
originally ranged from 33 seconds to 44 minutes, which is a pretty big okay. range. So there's That's no what? one normal amount of time. But the right. median time, which, Santosh, if you could briefly take us back to uh, grade school arithmetic, what is the median? <laughs> so aver- there's a lot of different averages. When you say median, you actually line up all of your numbers in a row, down from that seconds down to you know, the 45 minutes. And you line them up and you throw a dart right where the middle number is. And that number may not be like the math, the, the arithmetic average, but it's whatever's dead middle in that long row of numbers. 5.4 minutes, technically. Sweet. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Fascinating. Beg pardon? What? Uh, nothing. <laughs> that sounds a little low. What? <laughs> <laughs> so... 5.4 minutes. The middle couple goes for an average of 5.4 minutes from the moment penetration begins. That was the length. Unless you were in Turkey, in which the time was about 3.7 minutes. Oh, Turkey. Come on, man. <laughs> Another surprising finding is the older the couple, the shorter the median length of time. Okay. Not, not terribly surprising. Um, what what age range are we dealing with here? Are we going all the way to teenagers and all the way as old as 99? You know? I believe the oldest couple in the study was in their late 60s. Oh, so I don't that's think, a... I don't think they made it all the way up. There might have been a 70-year-old couple, but okay. I think they just were a bit more modest and didn't care to be recruited into stopwatching. <laughs> I wonder who hits the stopwatch. <laughs> wait for it alright alright <laughs> wait for it <laughs> so, or it would be even worse if like one partner was like and time wait what no I'm not done yet <laughs> <laughs> no 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 dear tonight is for science yeah <laughs> You think that people like you know they they went a little bit longer for science? <laughs> they were like, "Baby, we got to do this. It's for science." You mean did they kiss a little longer, hold yeah. tight a little longer, <laughs> oh, make it last a little longer? Yeah, there you go. How many of our listeners are going to remember this? Oh, thirty and older, stay on. Everybody who <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> of course, for those of you who are not bar trivia or commercial jingle aficionados, yeah. that is the Big jingle Red. for Big Red Gum. Yeah, wonderful. The uh, the longest-lasting cinnamon gum. Yep. Which, <laughs> uh, do they still make it anymore? No. I so I guess think so. I don't so think it it's the longest-lasting. <laughs> didn't last that long. And there are other cinnamon gums out there, people. Uh, yeah, there are other cinnamon gums. well i guess at this point it's time for us to say goodbye a little longer maybe just a little longer just a little longer uh with that rich uh, long lasting freshness we have we've we've actually blown our load of journal articles this week (laughs) no you know what folks because it's too easy we're gonna leave out a just the tip for this week (laughs) have fun With whomever you are spending the weekend. And until next time, happy travels. (laughs) 
Don't forget to cuddle. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, on Squarespace, on Twitter, on Patreon, anywhere podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear your reviews, your ratings, and we would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Included in the show notes are a whole bunch of places you can do that. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me. (laughs) Me help. (laughs) With a lot of help from all my co-hosts and those of you who submit stories. Thank you very much. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.